0: Welcome to the Quark Methods podcast, where we discuss interesting methodological developments in applied qualitative health research. In this episode, we shine a light on the process of analysing qualitative data. We are joined by Jo Neal, Professor of Addictions Qualitative Research at King's College London, who is going to talk about iterative categorisation. Joe describes IC as a systematic step-by-step approach for analysing qualitative data. Keep listening if you'd like to hear more. I started by asking Jo about the type of qualitative research that she does.
1: Um, I think i describe myself as someone who does mainly applied qualitative research and that probably reflects the fact that I was trained as a social worker. Um, so I'm a social scientist and for me it's very important my research can be used to influence practice and policy. Uh, but it, it's also important that my work tries to accurately document the views and experiences of the people I'm researching. So I like to be um, surprised and challenged by what people say. And to me, there's really no point in doing a study or researching a topic if I think I know the answer before I start. Um, I also like to work across disciplines, so I really enjoy working with quantitative researchers. Uh, I like to work with statisticians, trialists, economists, public health researchers. Um, but that's I'm not in any way anti-theory or anti-social theory. I love thinking about theory and working with people who are very theoretical. Uh, and in fact, some of my most productive collaborations have been with sociologists. Uh, so your question was, what type of qualitative research do I do? Um, I think I'd have to say applied qualitative research.
0: Brilliant. Thank you, Joe. That provides really useful context, especially when we start to think about the advantages of iterative categorisation. Uh, so now, can you tell us, what is iterative categorisation? Or do you tend to call it IC?
1: Okay, so iterative categorization, um, which uh, we've all started to shorten to IC because it's too difficult to pronounce otherwise, is, is basically a, a systematic and transparent technique for analyzing qualitative textual data. Um, basically, what it does is break the very complicated process of analyzing data uh, right down into a series of largely sequential stages uh, that can be followed closely or adapted in a way that would suit uh, any any individual project.
0: And and how did it first come into fruition? Uh, and why did it feel like an important thing to develop?
1: Okay, that's a longer question that's probably going to take me a minute or two to explain. Um, but when I did my PhD back in the early 90s, I described it in the thesis as a grounded theory study. And then I did a few qualitative studies as a postdoc, and I described them as grounded theory as well. And then one day, somebody pointed out to me uh, that what I was doing wasn't really grounded theory. And they said that they thought it looked more like a framework analysis. So I read up about framework analysis and decided that framework was indeed closer to what I was doing. Then, Then for many years, I described my analysis as framework. But in reality, I was always adapting framework quite considerably. Um, with Framework, I really struggled to analyse the data using a grid or a matrix with just rows and columns. And What I was always trying to do is I, I always wanted to see more of the data, and I found that the, the matrix was just too rigid. So I'd also end up analysing it in Word, and then eventually I just stopped using the grid and the matrix form, and I just analysed all the data in Word. And to me, that felt like I was remaining closer to the data. Um, then one day, Robert West, who's the editor of the journal Addiction, was was mailing to me, um, about the fact that he often struggled to see how qualitative researchers got from their data to their findings. And he said he thought that was a weakness of qualitative research. Um, we were having lunch at the time, and I suspect he wished he'd uh, never asked me by the end of it, because about an hour later, I was still... Um, as he was as he was staring into the bottom of his coffee cup, I was still uh, telling him about how I had all of these folders and all of these Word documents, and I could show exactly how I analysed uh, every every study I'd done. And so he suggested, I I suspect, probably to stop me from talking, to go away and and write it all down. Um, But it was interesting because another colleague of mine about the same time had been telling me to do just the same thing. So I I was kind of inspired at that point to go away, write the whole process down. I decided it needed a name and the name reflected what exactly was involved in the process. And so came up with iterative categorisation or I see, so we can pronounce it.
0: Thank you, Jo. I must say, what you are describing really resonates with me, um, both in terms of your methodological trajectory, if you like, but also in, in terms of the process. I've spent years coding data in Nvivo and doing it, you know, very loosely in the first instance, essentially organising the data and then looking for all the data extracts within a particular code. And at and, and that stage, sitting with a notebook, uh, reducing the text to a line or so, and then looking for you know, patterns across the data extracts and using that unseen work and that unseen kind of thinking in my pucker pads to reorganize the data into more abstract groups. Um, So while I can describe that process, I'm not evidencing it in the same way that you are with um, IC. So a lot of my thinking is in a pucker pad somewhere, which is not terribly helpful.
1: So I guess that means going forwards, you've got no excuse anymore. Now you can, uh, you can document it and evidence it in a very systematic way. No more, no more
0: pucker pads. (laughs) Yep. No more pucker pads. Although that is a daunting prospect, but no, you're right. This is a more transparent way. Um, So next Joe, could you say a little bit about who you think would find this helpful and why?
1: Um, So I think I was very self-conscious about suggesting I come up with this whole new way of analysing qualitative data, probably because, you know, like you're saying, there's lots of people out there who do adapt standard methods uh, and do work in slightly uh, adaptive ways. Um, And I I certainly didn't want to make it look like I was teaching very experienced colleagues of mine to suck eggs. But I suppose I had two main audiences in mind. First was people who are new to qualitative research and struggling to make sense of their data and then also all of those quantitative researchers who were a bit sceptical about or critical of qualitative research, uh, what I wanted to do was find a way of um, letting them see the time and the effort and the rigour behind good qualitative analysis. Uh, but having, having written it all down, obviously, and, and the process is out there, I, in reality, I hope it's just useful for all qualitative researchers.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know... Anything that gets novice or experienced researchers to be more explicit about the methods they're using is very welcome. Um, Is it possible to briefly outline the key stages of IC?
1: Yeah, yeah. okay, so um, as I mentioned, it's broken down into a number of stages and many of them are going to be familiar to anyone with a basic grasp of qualitative analysis. Um, We start, as you might expect, with uh, transcribing the data and then we spend time familiarising ourselves with the data and then we take a lot of care in anonymizing the data. Uh, we've got to make sure we have a very good system of logging and, and filing data so we don't lose anything. We know where everything is. And then we go about coding it. And this is probably where IC kicks in a bit more because coding uh, in IC is done in, a, in quite a specific way. So we are beginning with deductive codes. So these are the topics um, that we've asked about specifically in the interviews or in the focus groups. And then what we're going to do is supplement the, these deductive codes with more inductive codes. And these will be the topics or themes, the ideas that have emerged more unexpectedly, usually, from the data. And We're going to do it in a very kind of pragmatic approach, uh, with, in a pragmatic way, um, trying not to create hundreds and thousands of codes and then getting in a complete mess, which is what people often do. But instead, just using the coding stage very basically and simply, to, to primarily get the data into some sort of an order, so that we can then actually focus on it, the analysis in a, more, in a more kind of ordered way. And then we would do the kind of more analytical thinking in two main stages. Uh, and again, breaking it down first into a, a descriptive stage, where basically we're just trying to analyse the data in a way that simply describes what the data say, what participants said. And then we move on to a more interpretive stage where we're actually going to look for patterns, associations uh, and explanations in the data. So I think many people will see similarities there with what they already know from different approaches. Uh, and the point of the IC is it just breaks it down and documents it and shows you exactly how to do it um, in Word documents.
0: Brilliant. Thank you, Joe. That gives a really helpful overview. Um, So I'm aware that you've written two um, excellent papers now that that detail the process of IC in full. What would you say is the difference between those two papers? Okay, good question.
1: Um, The first paper largely focuses on the stage leading up to and including the descriptive analysis. And then the second paper, which has just been accepted for publication, also in the journal Addiction, uh, focuses on how to actually interpret the qualitative data. So again, the second paper breaks the process down into a series of stages. Uh, It's also got a flow diagram this time in a way that attempts to demystify the process and just make it that bit more transparent. So it provides a more detailed account of how you actually go about conceptualising findings, how you look for patterns and anomalies in the data, and then how you're actually going to link your findings to wider literature or to theory or to policy or to practice. And I think you know it's because these are the, the crucial stages if the researcher wants to move beyond just producing a sort of simple local description of what they found in a qualitative study to produce a more robust analysis that has got clear lessons and implications uh, for national or international audiences. And I think this is the kind of final stage that tends to make a paper publishable because people seldom want to read about what happened to 20 or 30 people in a particular service or in an area what they really want to know is how the findings from a study translate or apply to other services or other settings. And so the interpretive stage of the IC process can guide the researcher through that, um, giving them a step-by-step account of of what to do in order to ensure that they produce something that's definitely publishable at the end.
0: That's excellent, thank you. And I, I, I know how helpful that will be to students and colleagues alike, actually, who can often feel just so bewildered at that stage so that's really useful now would you say that ic is a standalone method of analyzing data or should it be used with other techniques and approaches like framework ipa and out of analysis
1: um, in the first ic paper i said uh, quite categorically that ic was not a standalone method for analyzing data um, but I, I think i have to say i got that wrong because the evidence is now suggesting otherwise So the first paper was published in 2016. And since then, people have been using it without uh, reference to other approaches. Uh, And I've also used it without reference to other approaches. So I think it is fair to say that you can definitely use IC on its own and publish your data um, by referencing it. Um, You can also use it, though, to support other approaches. And if you're interested in doing that, there is some additional explanation on on how to actually combine it with other approaches in, in the new paper I just mentioned.
0: Fantastic, thank you. Now, I've heard you recount an exchange with a colleague before, in which he described your research papers as very simple papers. Uh, What do you think he meant by that? Um, To me, it sounds actually that that might be a positive.
1: Okay, so it's actually not just one person that told me that my research papers were simple. In fact, uh, lots lots of people tell me that my research papers are simple. Uh, and bizarrely, I do I do take this as a compliment because it seems to me it means that people can actually follow my analysis and see how I move from the data to the findings, and and that's really what I want. I want people to understand how I work with the data, because I think that increases the trustworthiness of the findings, and as well, it makes it less easy to dismiss the paper if people don't like the findings. Um, if if they can see exactly how the data produced this particular set of findings. It's a lot more difficult to criticise the findings. I think.
0: Absolutely, I can't agree more. Um, but I do think it's right to qualify this by saying that your articles are deceptively simple. Now, <laughs> uh, finally, have you any any concluding top tips that you think will be helpful for novice researchers approaching analysis?
1: Uh, okay, a few tips then. So, uh, first, I'd say leave plenty of time. Uh, qualitative analysis just cannot be done overnight. And second, I'd say don't get overwhelmed. Uh, By breaking things down into stages, you can chart your progress and you'll be able to show us what you've done. Third, I'd say be careful about conflating what your participants said with your interpretation of what they said. Now, of course, many people will argue that you can't avoid this as all data are co-constructed between the participants and the researchers. And I've got a lot of sympathy for this perspective, but I'd still argue that it's very confusing for the reader when you layer your interpretations onto the data without first giving the data a chance to speak for themselves. So that's why I recommend simply describing the data as best you can first in the descriptive stage, and then consciously interpreting it in the more interpretive stage. I think that's three points. As a fourth point, I'd say be willing to be surprised by your findings. If you only ever find what you're looking for or what you're expecting, then something is, is definitely going wrong. And then uh, a, a bonus point, lastly, I'd say, when you write up the data, write it for the reader, not for yourself. And um, by that, I mean, imagine yourself into the position of the reader. Make sure everything is clearly explained. You don't make assumptions about the reader's knowledge or worldview, and you show how you've moved from your research questions or your study aims through your data collection and analysis to your findings and conclusions. Because at, at the end of the day, transparency and clarity are vital, I think, in good in qualitative research.
0: Definitely. And certainly, I think your two papers assist with that. And I would encourage any listeners who haven't already read them to to take a look. And I guess, you know, the papers, they obviously provide much greater detail than we're able to go into here. But in addition to that, they also place IC in context alongside other across case analytical approaches like thematic analysis and framework and ground theory and so on. As inevitably you know I see it has things in common with each of these approaches as you've alluded to so thank you so much for your uh, time today Jo it's been really good to speak with you uh, it's been a pleasure thank you for asking me and uh, I
1: wish everybody well with their analysis
0: thank you Joe, and thank you all for listening in our next episode Alan Simpson will be speaking with Steve Gillard About their qualitative, co produced work conducted within the Mental Health Policy Research Unit. Find it on our website quark.co.uk.